Glory and praise to you, O Lord Jesus Christ. Glory and praise to you, O Lord Jesus Christ. Even now, says the Lord, return to me with your whole heart, for I am gracious and merciful. Glory and praise to you, O Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke. While still more people gathered in the crowd, Jesus said to them, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. At the judgment, the Queen of the South will rise up with the men of this generation, and she will condemn them, because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And there is something greater than Solomon here. At the judgment, the men of Nineveh will arise with this generation and condemn it, because at the preaching of Jonah, they repented, and there is something greater than Jonah here. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Today is an ember day. Ember days are important for us here in Iowa because they're the days that the church staggers around planting and harvest time. And the spring ember days, this Wednesday, this coming Friday, and this coming Saturday are important because in the old days, this is always when we had ordinations. So most of the old priests, think like Monsignor Beeson, um, they were ordained this week, but like 50, 60 years ago. The idea was that by the fasting and prayer that Lent had already sort of inaugurated us in, that the, the, the Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday of this first week was focused in a special way so that we could consecrate the land to uh, consecrate the land by our fast. So like by deliberately withholding ourselves from food during these days, we're sort of giving our fruit to the earth, a fruit which then ultimately would be reaped at harvest time, which would likewise be consecrated by another fast. I think... I think there's a natural parallel to fasting that makes this much more palatable to the modern stomach. On Thanksgiving Day, we always kind of fasted earlier in the day to make room, right, for the feast that's a coming. Well, it's the same basic intuition that's at play in the church. We fast now for the sake of the feast later, not just so it'll taste better or so that we can afford to be more, more gluttonous. That's not the idea at all. But our fasting focuses us in a particular way now so that when the mystery that's yet to be revealed, whether that mystery is the harvest of new grain or fruit or vegetables or the Lord's own harvest as he springs forth like new seed from the earth, well, so that we can take it in. The Lord compares himself today to Jonah no sign will be given this generation but the sign of Jonah. Now, Jonah, of course, was a sign 
after he got spit out by the fish. Before, he was just a weirdo. But afterwards, he was a sign, a signum, a, a, a symbolane, right? So that word, symbol, we tend to think of it uh, kind of dismissively as Catholics because of uh, the way other Christians wound up misusing it around the Holy Eucharist. But symbols by themselves are meant to be powerful. They're evocative. It's the reason the flag stirs up fellow feeling in our hearts, right? Like that, that it's meant to do something. But here's how symbols work, right? It's two words, sim and balane. So sim is like sympathy. It means with. But the balane means, means to like throw together. So the way contracts worked in the ancient world was you'd have, uh, I buy a, a plot of land from Janine, and, 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 and we're going to set it out from this tree to this rock to that river to that ditch. So we write it all down on our tablet, and she puts her mark there, and I put my, my mark here, and then you break it. You take your half home, I take my half home. And then... When your kids die and want to fight with my kids over the land, the only way we can figure it out, the only way we can know who has what is by bringing them back together. Jonah is like this. On the face of it, he's just a guy that smells like dead fish and looks sort of disordered because of what's happened to him. But when the people say, what is this strange man doing? What possibly can his appearance mean? What does he say? Repent, or Nineveh will be destroyed. Now, Jonah is a kind of a preview of what we'll see in, uh, in the older son in the story of the prodigal, right? Because Jonah then gets bitey that the people actually repent. He didn't really want them to do it. He would feel much better about himself, much more self-righteous, if he could be a good and faithful Jew, and, and they, could, they could suffer for their sins. How often... How often when hurt have we just wished the guy that hurt us could suffer for their sins? But that is not the sign, that is not the sign that Christ brings. On the face of it, he's like Jonah. He comes out of the tomb, but not stinking. But what he means, what this symbolane means, what this mystery means that's now brought together is not, not that we're better off when our enemies suffer for their sins but that they're better off and we're better off when we can forgive them. The question isn't whether we're brave enough or strong enough or holy enough to fast for our friends. The question really is, are we brave enough, strong enough, open enough to grace to fast for our enemies?